Oh my God, fuck me. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. I am so fucking bothered right now. I probably shouldn't say that because I'll be in trouble. Fuck it. The American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Amen. Win, win, win. I am eligible. <laughs> <laughs> Pedophile. No. Welcome back to the Cold War episode 159. Wow. We're making progress. A guy from Romania. Right. There once was a guy from Romania. A uh, guy from Romania, one of Romania's best-selling authors, wrote a nice review about my uh, film the other day, and then he jumped on my Facebook when I posted something about, uh, you know, the, the the propaganda coming out of the US that China deliberately released the virus into the world, and I said, you know, you can't believe either side. They're, they're all they're, they're all right. lying. There's propaganda everywhere. It's, let's wait till the facts come out. He jumped, this guy from Romania jumped and said, oh, you, you obviously know nothing about communism. You're an idiot. And I was like, uh, actually, dude, I've spent many, 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 many hundreds of hours in the last few years doing a show about <laughs> so, communism. I think so, I got this. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think you might have, might have <laughs> jumped into that one right. too quickly. But thanks for liking the film. So have a blessed day. Yeah. yeah. If, if I could give this episode... Uh, some context, because we're going to go into some stuff. So the great irony of what we're about to go into is that the Eustacia was so cruel in their policies of what they're going to do to the Orthodox, the Gypsies, and the Jews, that um, the hatred of what they do is going to live on for years when Yugoslavia becomes a communist country under Tito. So when he comes to power, finally reuniting the country, trying to move forward, he tries to really, on a on a on a personal level, bring the country back together. He's going to talk about brotherhood. He's going to talk about unity. But there's still so much anger, desire for revenge, religious differences, ethnic differences, that even though he was able to ride those various waves to power, it's actually going to stymie him from really bringing his country together. So we're going to go through some intense shit that Tito was able to use, but in the end, you could argue that it also defeated him as well as far as his ultimate goal, which was to genuinely bring his country together to take on the rest of the world. Because like you were saying in the very first episode, he's right in between in between the East and the West. He's in no man's land. He's got to look out for himself. But that the hatred and the anger and the desire for revenge is still there, and that's stopping him from bringing his people together. Indeed. Now, in the end of our last episode, we talked about how the leader of the Ostashi, Ante Pavelic, was granted an audience with the Pope mm-hmm. when he was in Rome to uh, crown the new king of Croatia. Right. 
And uh, the Archbishop of uh, Croatia, Stepanac, didn't go to Rome with him. Uh It has been suggested that they may have had a bit of a falling out uh, at that point in time. And if so, it may have been because Stepanac was angry that Pavelic had allowed the Dalmatian coast to go to Mussolini and not be included in the independent state of Croatia. As I said in the last episode, the new king of Croatia, uh, Prince Amoni, uh, the cousin of King Victor Emmanuel III, Mm -hmm. himself didn't go to Zagreb, uh, partly in protest of the same thing. So a lot of patriotic Croats were angry at Pavelic for giving up the coast because... You know, they love the beach. They like yeah. to go to the beach. Who they couldn't it? go to the beach yeah. without a passport, passport right. control, the whole thing. Difficult, it's tricky. Stepanarch apparently beach. wept. Right. He wept yeah. when he heard the news that they were giving up that region to Mussolini and the Italians. When he was put on trial as a collaborator by the communists in 1946, mm-hmm. And sentenced to 16 years, the West declared it a show trial. In the US, people demanded Truman do something about it. And when he died in 1960, Stefanach, this is right. the Archbishop, it, uh, the, the, the divisiveness over his role in the the NDH actually led to the breakup, the eventual breakup of Yugoslavia in the 90s. Damn. In 1998, though, Pope John Paul II declared him a martyr. Oh, that's bullshit. Even though he never once spoke out against the massacre of hundreds of thousands of Serbs, Jews, and Roma, while he was the Catholic Archbishop of the country, he's still a divisive figure to this very day. Serbs hate him. Croats tend to love him. Yeah. Now, but while he was polite with the Eustatia leadership, his colleague, the Archbishop Saric, was totally in love and had a huge hard-on <laughs> for them. In an article published in the Eustatia newspaper on the 11th of May 1941, the Archbishop Saric said, And with eager hope, in its beautiful, sweet and golden freedom, uplifting ourselves to God, we prayed to the Almighty to guide and protect Ante Pavelic for the freeing of Croatia. The good God heard, and behold, he answered our cries and supplications. God, we thank thee. Lord, we acknowledge thee. And we shall always join belief in country with our religious belief. Croats forever. Catholics forever. God and the Croats. So no ambiguity there. No, none at all. We love we love Ante Pavelic. He's been sent by God to kill other Christians. Right. Now, throughout sort of the spring and the early part of the summer of 1941, Roman Catholic priests armed, no, attended by armed Ustashi mm-hmm. carried out these mass baptisms that you talked about in the last episode in Orthodox villages in the military frontier and across Bosnia-Herzegovina. 
as you said, I think last time the estimated number of converts was around about 300,000, might have been higher. They were literally converted at gunpoint. Yeah, the, the I think the ultimate goal based on the 2 million number of Orthodox Christians was 600,000, but you're right. I think by 1945, they had about 300,000 uh, people who were forced to convert. And obviously there's a hundred, you know, at least 100,000 more probably of uh, people who were killed. So they didn't do bad, but they were taking this very seriously. That's why they were able to achieve a number like 300,000. What does that remind you of? Mass conversions? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Spain, Portugal. Uh, yeah. So uh, if, mm. it's a, if it's a good mm. thing, uh, keep it going. We've been talking about this for people who don't listen to our Renaissance show. We've been talking about the Spanish Inquisition recently yeah. and the whole purpose of the Spanish Inquisition and the Portuguese Inquisition, which followed it and then they got merged together when it all became Spain, was about mass conversion of Jews to yeah. Christianity. Just convert. Here we have the forced, and they were forced. It yes. was on pain of uh, torture, having your kids taken away from you, right. prison fines, or being kicked out of the country. Mm-hmm. They didn't have mass executions officially, but they did have lots of pogroms against the Jews that were, you know, were unofficially tolerated, right. uh, where thousands and thousands of Jews and converted Jews, Jews who converted to Christianity, were murdered in the streets by quite often monks. And we're gonna. Uh, and the Inquisition was run by monks, mostly Dominicans. Like Torquemada was a Dominican monk. Here we're going to see Franciscan monks getting in a little bit of bloodletting themselves. Yeah. So going back to those 300,000 people that were forced to convert, a lot of people that were converted against their will were poor and uneducated because the NDH said that anybody who had a secondary education, like teachers or merchants or rich artisans, and of course, Orthodox priests, um, they were considered to have a Serbian consciousness. So they were incapable of becoming a true Croat, even though this is being done against their will. So they either have to leave the country, which takes a long time and it's messy and you can't really trust that they'll leave, or you can just kill them in that way you know it's being done. So they, they went after the people poor, uneducated first, because those were the people more likely to turn, and everyone else, they just marked them for execution and or exile. Which is, by the way, how Christianity started. I mentioned in my film mm-hmm. that you know the, all of the early converts to Christianity were the poor and the uneducated. And it's still today when Christians are doing missions around the world. Yeah. When the Mormons go do their missions and the Catholics do their missions, they go to the poor and uneducated places of the world. Yeah. Far far easier to spin lines of bullshit to the poor and uneducated than it is to people with an education. Right. Because an educated person would go, so tell me about the burning bush again, because I'm going to need to hear that again. <laughs> now, a lot of educated Serbs and Jews, especially those living in the cities and the towns, tried to get out. They, yeah. they tried to get out of... Uh, the country to Serbia or parts of the coast that have been uh, given to Italy. But, uh, you know, they weren't always successful. Uh, Sometimes they were ended up being sent to concentration camps. 
many cases, as they tried to escape, they died uh, of disease and hunger, as the people in the concentration camps also did. Yes. And during the number of, during the summer of 1941, some of these camps were already turning into death camps yes, that yes. ended up becoming a main feature of the independent state of Croatia. There were many death camps across the country. We're going to talk about some of those, uh, particularly the bigger ones, and, and what happened in them over the next episode or two. Now, not all of the Catholics were cunts, though. Uh, even some Catholic priests. Right. Uh, there's a story uh, I read about Father Andelko Gregic. Right. He wrote to a friend of his, Father Bogdan Dianovic, who was an Orthodox priest who had gone into exile. He wrote, With pain in the soul and great disapproval, we have condemned the happenings and the policies to the Orthodox Church. But this was a furious storm against which we were powerless to act. People looked on helplessly at what was happening, and everyone in his heart condemned it, but at the same time, we had to let it happen. Mm. Many others, Orthodox Christians, have gradually come to share your fate. Above all, the intelligentsia. The authorities have tried to deal with the peasants in another way by making them say what they feel and call themselves Croats, and indirectly, they've tried to get them to join the Catholic faith. They began, understandably, with people of mixed marriages. A mass of people followed, many of them state functionaries who feared for their lives. It was no use saying that it wasn't right to convert without personal conviction or understanding of the faith. They were frightened. I know that you abroad have observed what's happening here and that it's detrimental to the Orthodox Church. However, my dear colleague, if one considers the human beings involved, it has done them good and a favour. If we hadn't done the conversions, God knows what might have happened in the village. Seen from a spiritual point of view, we've accomplished that unity of the faith that has always been our ideal. In fact, the converts from orthodoxy have stayed with their own beliefs. All they've had to do is acknowledge the supremacy of the Pope in Rome, and for ordinary people, that's of no significance." I know it hasn't been done in a legal fashion, for there have been moral pressures, but the responsibility for that doesn't lie with individuals. It's been done under orders. The church officially condemns forced conversions because they're done for material advantage, but to have stuck by the rules would have been hard and damaging. A, a priest is starting to sound like a German soldier. I did it because they ordered me to. Yes, yeah, but, you know, it's... it's. Oh, the whole thing's bullshit. Well, yeah, but it's... Okay, so playing devil's advocate and supporting Father Gregich... Sure. I think what he's saying is if we didn't convert them, they would have been murdered. Yes. So morally, what should we do? No, I get that. What is that, the best thing to do? Should we convert them or just let them be murdered? Yeah, that is, that is the best part of what you just read. However, he's also, it sounds like he's not letting the church take any blame. We were forced to do this. In fact, because if, if we hadn't done it, they would have been killed. This is the government doing this. This is the government make, making us do it. So we're not the bad guys here. And if I may, and this might sound a little insensitive, we have achieved that uni unity that we've always sought. So... Yay for us, and I'm really sorry this had to happen, but not really. And he also points out that they just keep believing what they always believe. They're just basically faking it, right. which is, again, something that came up in our 
Renaissance yeah. uh, series we're talking about the Spanish Inquisition, I was saying, like, we, we told lots of stories of Jews that killed their own children and then committed suicide to prevent them all, their family, from having to convert to right. Catholicism. Right. But And, I, and yeah. you know, I said, well, why not just fake it? You know, why not just say whatever you got to say rather than kill your own children, just fake it. But then, of course, the people that the, – the converts that were being executed and the, the main reason for the Inquisition yes. in the first place was – this belief that a lot of these Jews that had converted had converted for material advantage and were just faking it, and that was uh, seen to be a big problem. But if the Croats come into your village and they force you to convert, that's yes, you're going to keep believing what you believe, but I imagine the process is quite terrifying. I imagine there was violence. I imagine some people in the village were killed, but in a very gruesome way. And at the very least, if no one in your village was killed, which I'm sure there was, the next village was probably close to being wiped out. So it is a reign of terror. This is just a uh, a priest dancing around all the details. And at the end of the day, the church semi-benefits because now there's a lot more of the Roman Catholics. They have fewer Orthodox, at least on the surface, and that's what they're going for anyway. I mean, it's just really hard for me to cut this guy any slack. He shouldn't have written the letter at all, but I think he was trying to justify something. You know, I think um, if if Australia got taken over by a religious uh, theocracy, which I think is the genuine desire of a lot of the Christians here Mm -hmm. and our current prime minister, who's a crazy happy clapper. And they, they basically made it, uh, uh, the law that you had to become a a Christian. Right. I would do it. I'd say, sure. I'm a Christian. Don't worry about it. They said, we're going to kill you, kill you and your kids. Right. But like, sure. Yeah. Sign yeah. me up. Yeah. Praise Jesus. You know, like what what does it matter? Right. I mean, even, you know, the the justification uh, for people not wanting to convert is, you know, they, they would upset God if they were like, you don't think God understands? Hey, you go, listen, God, uh, listen, uh, big guy, I'm doing this. What would you rather? My kids get killed? Yeah. And I have to commit suicide? Or you just, uh, you know, we'll just fake it till we make it. Right. By the way, why the fuck aren't you protecting me from this in the first place, you lazy we'll, cunt? We'll be but, talking about you know, that again, Leaving later. that aside. Right. Yeah, right, leaving right. that aside for the moment. <laughs> when I die, we're going to have words, motherfucker. Anyway. And quite frankly, what good is a God that's not defending you yeah. from forced conversion to a different religion? I mean, right. honestly, you'd have to go, uh, well... Maybe this other religion is the right one because our God has obviously failed us. Our religion's not, you know, God's yeah. not defending us. He's a weak God. So Everybody says it. People are telling me all the time, weak God, loser. Sorry, I'm finished. <laughs> oh, it's a clip. It's going on the so, soundboard. So when you were 12 years old, you asked God for a bicycle. He doesn't give it to you. Now you're 43 with the family. You're being forced to convert. He doesn't defend you. Even then, he is losing one of his own. So, yeah, weak God. Hashtag weak God. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, now, Father Dianovich, the Orthodox priest who the letter was being written to, was one of the lucky ones. Right. 
In one village, the Orthodox priest, the teacher and 250 peasants, men and women, were forced to dig a grave in which they were then buried alive with their hands tied behind their backs. Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to get into. Not only do I want you dead because you're a different religion, I want you to suffer as much as humanly possible before you die. We're going to, we're going to see that time and time again. And so, and just on this particular case, I guess if you're buried alive, you suffocate, right? They throw the dirt back over you. And so you would asphyxiate. Is that what you think happened to these people? I'm just curious. Yeah. We're going to get into it. Yeah. If we're going to get into it. Let's get into it. Okay. So they asphyxiated, to, they, they suffocated to death. Jesus. In another village, the Orthodox priest was made to watch as his son was literally hacked to death Jeez. with axes along with 350 other villagers. Then they took the priest, mm-hmm. pulled out his hair and beard, Damn. gouged out his eyes, and then tortured him to death. So the pulling out the hair and the beard and the eyes, that wasn't torture. That was just a warm-up. And then they got down to torturing him until his body shut down. Mm. Fuck. Yeah, in in the town of Glinna, the Ustasha killed 1,000 Serb men, women, and children while they were inside an Orthodox church. Then, because they liked to raise the stakes, they burnt down the church while another 1,000 Serbs were in there who were still alive. So some were killed, the other half were burned alive. I mean, the most gruesome possible ways to end a human life. And this is what they're doing, as far as I can tell, on a daily basis. In another village, the Ustasha took the Orthodox priest and 70 of his congregation into the hills where they cut their throats and hurled their bodies into a ravine. In another village, a Franciscan ordered the death of an Orthodox priest who was seized by the Ustasha, then had his nose, ears and tongue cut off before he was stabbed in the stomach and left to die. Is there something that I'm missing as far as the Franciscan, as far as the nose, ears, and tongue? Is there anything that I'm missing from the life of Christ or in the Bible as far as these particular? Because there seems to be a lot of fingers, or not fingers, but ears, nose, and tongues being cut out. Or is that just, that's the cruelest thing they could possibly think of to do to these people before they kill them? I just want to make sure I'm not missing the significance of these particular executions. Well, I think and the problem is mm-hmm. they were all listening to this song at the time. Okay, makes more sense now. Thank you. Yeah. That song, when you listen to that song, you need to cut ears off. It just goes with the song. (laughs) Yeah, look, I I don't know. I don't know if there's any uh, symbolism to that. But uh, 
and I've pointed this out, I think, in uh, one of our recent episodes. Can't remember mm-hmm. if it was Gold War, Renaissance, or Caesar, or whatever the fuck. But uh, Jesus justified violence against people to save their souls. Right. This is good Christian theology oh. here. It goes back to St. Augustine's justification for violence against Christians in his time. Right. To get them to convert or to stop them from sinning. Because if you kill a That's sinner, they can't. you're stopping them from sinning. Yeah. And, and you're, you're, you're saving their immortal soul. That's the justification from it from a theological perspective. Right. Um, you know, do not murder, uh, but this isn't murder. Mm. This is a mercy killing. Salvation. Um, yes, we tortured them before we did it, but that was just for practice. Right. I don't know. Fun. Up. What? No one. No one said you can't have a little bit of foreplay, a little bit of fun, before you oh save their immortal soul. Of I'm the a- five hundred and seventy-seven Orthodox clergy, mm-hmm. one hundred and thirty-one, including three bishops, are known to have been murdered. In cold blood, while another sixty or seventy died fighting against the Ustasha. And, and to be quite blunt, because we're we're trying to make this make sense and and get new, probably new information out there, the Fr- Franciscan Order played a leading role in the slaughter. Certainly in Bosnia Herzegovina, the main location of the killings was at a monastery, Sirorki. Brigege, I'm not sure how to say it. The Minister of the Interior himself ordered the killing of 4,000 Serbs. That was his native district. This is in May of 1941. He knew, you know, because he'd grown up in the area, he wanted it cleansed, if if I can use that word. 4,000 Serbs in that one district were killed on his orders. Um, The Ustasha burnt down or dynamited a third of the Orthodox churches, usually with the people still inside them. A law student won a competition by cutting the throats of 1,360 Serbs with the special knife that they used, for which he was given the prize of a gold watch, a silver service, a roast suckling pig, and some wine. Now, I'll talk more more about that knife uh, later on. Okay, but just before we go on, I mean, to cold-bloodedly cut cut one throat. It's messy. The person, it takes them a couple of minutes to die. There's a lot of blood. I mean, we've all seen movies where they faked it. Just imagine being that person who cut 1,360 throats. I Did he do it in a day? Was it a couple of days? I have no idea. But I mean, we are talking, are, are the, are the, is the church and the government getting psychopaths, psychopaths and just going around and just because they're the most effective killers. I mean, this is just insane. And you know, all these other people are watching while this is happening. This is like the German Nazi Holocaust all over again. It's being directed uh, for religious reasons. Yeah, my theory on this and and the Nazis, I touched on this in the book, is I think in times like this where brutality is incentivized, Mm. psychopaths rise to the fore. Right. You know, if 1% to 4% of the population are psychopaths, as psychiatrists estimate, they're they're always out there, but 
the usually they don't get very far in life. The, the highly intelligent ones tend to do well in organizational hierarchies. They end up in business and they end up in politics and religion and the military and the police. And, you know, if they're smart enough, mm-hmm. uh, they tend to rise through the ranks. Not all psychopaths have a high IQ, though, a high enough IQ to get away with that. So a lot of them are just uh, you know, bad employees right. and yeah, you know, bad husbands and wives and uh, just mm-hmm. terrorizing their local neighborhood by being complete selfish pricks. Right. But if you have a culture in a society where psychopathy is rewarded, all of those people all of a sudden... Come out of the woodwork. Right. They are now. I mean, they're not going to end up running the SS, or they're not going to end up as ministers necessarily. All of them, but they will end up as your executioners, your, yeah. your your soldiers that are prepared to go out there. And then a lot of the other people go along with it, either because they kind of believe in the bigger picture. They do believe that the Jews are the cause of all their problems or Mm -hmm. the Orthodox Christians in this case are the cause of all their problems. Or like that Catholic priest that we read the letter out from before, they're just scared what will happen if they don't go along with it to them and their children. Right. Um, You know, it's, it's the trolley problem all over again. Well, is it better for me to allow the deaths of these people or for me to allow my own children to be murdered? My, my wife, my husband to be murdered, raped, tortured, you have to make some hard moral decisions, make some choices. Uh, a local uh, Ustasha guy by the name of Victor Gutich had sworn in a lot of Franciscans when you know before the war, mm-hmm. and as a reward was made the prefect of Western Bosnia during the time of the NDH. One day he was on his way to a place called Banja Luka. He got really upset when he noticed there were no Serbs hanging from public gallows right. at a place called Prejador, whereas in another town, Sansky, he had seen 27 bodies hanging in public. So on his orders, the Ustasha seized the Orthodox bishop at Banja Luka, shaved his beard with a blunt knife, gouged out his eyes, cut off his nose and ears, then lit a fire on his chest before hanging him from some gallows. Jesus. So there you go. And then a couple of days later, there was a ceremony at a church near Banya Luca where the priest said, uh, well, gave blessings upon the first national Croatian banner in Bosnia in the covenant of Nazareth before the sisters of Christ's precious blood, the standard bearer during this ceremony was Victor Gutic. Mm. So the guy that was complaining there weren't enough Bosnians hanging from, uh, Serbs hanging from gallows, right. uh, was then honoured in a church ceremony a few days later. And in and, and staying with that same kind of theme as far as the church being involved, in the district of Livno, there was a Franciscan preacher who told his congregation, Brother Croats, go and slaughter all the Serbs. And first of all, slaughter my sister, who was married to a Serb, and then kill all the Serbs in a row. When you have finished, come to me, and I'll hear your confession and give you forgiveness for your sins. 
So he had shame in the family. He wanted these people to kill his sister first because she married outside. So kill her first. So my, my question is, if you go tell someone to kill and then come back and you hear their confession. So he's admitting this is a sin or is he just trying to say that to make sure the people are good with going out, killing, knowing that he is going to wipe it clean for them with God? Yeah, that's good. Good question. I mean, thou shalt not murder. But uh, if you do murder and I give you confession, then I guess we're all good here. Right. And it's basically no different to getting an indulgence during the Crusades. Just on a local level. Yes. You have to go and kill people, but we'll give you a get-out-of-jail-free card when you get back, so don't worry about it. It's all good. Yes, God (laughs) loathes murder. Right. Unless you have one of these special badges, in which case it's all fine. Don't worry right. about it. Speaking of which, for the priests who did semi-complain or not like what's going on, the priests who, who reminded their congregation, thou shalt not kill, they themselves were put to death. Well, another Franciscan preacher gave his congregation a hard time. He said, you are old women and you should put on skirts because you have not yet killed a single Serb. We have no weapons or knives and we must forge them out of scythes and sickles so that you can cut the throats of Serbs whenever you see them. I did want to mention that, I don't know if we covered this, so stop me if we have, but back on June 26th, the Archbishop Stefanak and the other hierarchy of the church went to go see Ante Bavelich uh, in the capital, and they let him know that he has their support. They were willing to do whatever it took to support this new government. And because this is June by June 26th, and the killings had started in May, by then there were already hundreds of thousands of uh, Serbs who were being killed or had been killed or thrown into death camps like you were talking about earlier. But these are the priests who have to know because some of them are getting letters from their local, uh, the local priests. They know what's going on, and yet they still go to the government, to the to Bavelich, and let them know, you have our support. Everybody knows what's yeah. going on. Yeah, and so we have to conclude they were either in support of it or... Too scared to speak out against it. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, guys like this could uh, leave the country, the archbishop, go to Rome and, you know, uh, uh, complain about it from there. It's not like he couldn't get out of the country. Right. Um, So we have to assume, I think, that people like the archbishops, Stepanach and Sarich, were supportive of this. It's really hard to come to any other conclusion, I think. The Ustasha newspaper Hrvatska Kragna carried a long report by the visit of Victor Gutic, I mentioned before, to a Franciscan monastery mm-hmm. where he delivered this address. Like an angel with a fiery sword, Prefect Dr. Gutic raised his voice which had been muted until now, declaring emphatically each and every Croat who takes the side of our enemy of yesterday, the Serbs, is not only not a good Croat, but an opponent and hinderer of our previously thought out and calculated plan for the cleansing from our Croatia of unwanted elements. 
Let us call on the mercy of God if that patriotic labor sometimes oversteps the usual bounds of religious morals and ethics, knowing that almighty God, the most stern but also the most good and charitable, will approve the struggle to guard the independence of the long-suffering but God-loving Croatian people. So he delivered that speech at a Franciscan monastery. Right. To Jesus. rousing applause, I'm sure. <laughs> right. Now, Gutich, this guy, Victor Gutich, was one of the first people on record ever to use the term cleansing mm. to mean the elimination of uh, an ethnic yeah. class of people. It later became a semi-official euphemism and they would use it in their documentation across the administration. The, the term being used around Russia and Germany also around about the same time, the cleansing of the borders or the cleansing of the Jews right. was similar to what Gutich was using. The term ethnic cleansing didn't become popular in the West until the Bosnian War in 1992, Oh. And that is also where it started back in 1942, the, the idea of ethnic cleansing yeah. as a euphemism for just, what do you call it? Something? Um, purges. Um, mm. Well, see, when you use the term today cleansing, that's a buzzword. But just keep in mind, this is where it comes from. It comes from what the Germans did, and now it's coming from what the Croats are doing against the Orthodox. So, um yeah, this is, this is, as far as the 20th century, this is where this gets its start at. And I do have to say that 99% of the time, the Germans and the Italian troops who are all over the place in this former Yugoslavia aren't doing anything, but there were instances where they did step in. When uh, the, some SS troops came upon some people who were buried alive, they dug them out. Of course, the first question they asked was, are you a Jew? Which they either put them back in or shot them. But they did get they did help some Orthodox uh, Christians. And, and I don't want to jump too far, so Cam, you can stop me. But early on in 1941, there were some Italian troops in the southwestern zone of the NDH uh, lands, the land of Croatia. But it was land that was ceded to Italy. On May 21st, 1941, an officer in charge of the Vasari Division is met with some NDH uh, officials. They come up to him, and they're being led by a Franciscan priest, uh, Simic, if I'm saying his name right. And they say, we're here to take over the local civilian government. Yes, you still run this. This is still Italian territory, but we're going to run the local government. The Italians ask, well, what is your policy? And the Franciscan says, to kill all the Serbs in the shortest possible time. And in that short time, Friar Simic organized the slaughter of a lot of uh, Orthodox uh, Christians and some of the people he killed with his own hands. And the Italians witnessed this and were disgusted. But as far as I know, they did not do anything in this particular case to stop them. Mm. Can you imagine being strangled by a priest? I mean, you, the last thing you see oh. is a priest choking you. <laughs> mm. I'm sorry I brought that up. In a sexy way, maybe. <laughs> you know, in a sexy, like sexy, enhancing the <laughs> orgasm way. But uh, I didn't think that through. Sorry, mm. people. Anyway, please continue. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, I was going to say that for the first couple of months of the existence of the NDH, they kind of held back 
from their brutal bloodletting because the Germans and the Italians were there. It could have been worse. And frowned frowned upon all of this. Uh, But after Hitler launched Operation Barbarossa, June of 1941, the Germans left to fight on the Eastern Front. The Italians withdrew to their new territory on the coast. That's when it really started to ramp up. Jesus Christ. On the morning of St. Vitus Day, uh-huh. we've talked about the, the importance of St. Vitus Day to the Slavs in earlier episodes. Right. Uh, it was also the anniversary of the assassination of the king. Uh, the, no, the assassination Archduke. of uh, Franz oh, Ferdinand, yeah. sorry. Yeah. The Ustasha death squads carried out mass arrests of Orthodox Christians in Mostar, smaller towns and villages across Western Herzegovina, where the Croats massively outnumbered the Serbs. They would seize and bind and imprison thousands of men, women and children, including many of those who had already converted to Catholicism and were going to Mass on Sundays because they didn't believe that they really deeply in their hearts believed in the Pope. They were taken, some of them, the more fortunate of them, were taken to the outskirts of a nearby wood and quickly shot or clubbed to death. Those Mm -hmm. were the lucky ones. Yes. But in other places, the less lucky ones were brutally tortured and murdered. There was a quarry near a Franciscan monastery at a village called Medjugorje. The Eustasha mm-hmm. threw 600 women and children still alive over the edge of the precipice into the quarry. Just to prolong the fear and horror that these people had to go through before they died. Now, uh, this wasn't very well known at this stage. There weren't any foreign journalists in the NDH and the the local journalists were too scared to report on it. Yeah. The German and Italian troops who had been horrified at what they had seen while they were still there, but they hadn't done anything about it at this stage uh, apart from protesting Mm -hmm. it. The, um, the, the bishops, the, the, the clergy, the Catholic clergy there promised to support Pavelic. They didn't speak out against it. Um, yeah. But there was one bishop who did try to stand up to it. He was the Bishop of Mostar. His name was Dr. Misic. After mm-hmm. the massacre on St. Vitus Day, he ordered the clergy in his diocese to read out in church a reminder that those who committed the sin of murder could not apply for absolution. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but as you said before, um, priests who were telling other people that thou shalt not kill was one of the Ten Commandments were being (laughs) sentenced to death. Or even if they refused to say a te deum on Pavelich's birthday, Uh, they could be sentenced to death. So if you were a priest and you didn't get completely behind what the NDH were doing and tried to remind people of what it says in the Bible about killing, uh, you could end up being 
sentenced to death yourself. And that same Bishop of Mostar, he wrote a letter to the Archbishop Stefanak telling him everything that he'd seen, everything that he'd heard. And in the letter, and you have to remember we are talking about priests, he goes, look, I've got no problem with the conversions. Let's convert all these son of a bitches because we have to save their souls. However, he doesn't like how it's being done. He doesn't like the violence that's attached to it. The archbishop, as far as I can tell, just writes back and says, you know what? I blame the Serbs for their own misfortune. There's the whole schism and they hate us and they would do the same thing to us. So we have to convert them because we've got the upper hand for now. So he was semi, I guess, justifying what the government was doing and the church with them mm. was doing. In August of 1941, uh, Stepanach wrote to his bishops asking them to report on the progress of the conversions. And it was only Dr. Misic, this bishop of Mostar, yeah. who dared to reply with the full truth. And uh, <laughs> his letter uh, says this in part, By the mercy of God, there was never such a good occasion as now for us to help Croatia to save the countless souls, people of goodwill, well-disposed peasants who live side by side with Catholics. Conversion would be appropriate and easy. Unfortunately, the authorities in their narrow views are involuntarily hindering the Croatian and Catholic cause. In many parishes in my diocese, very honest peasants of the Orthodox faith have registered in the Catholic Church, but then outsiders take things in hand. While the newly converted are at mass, they seize them, men and women, and hunt them like slaves. From Mostar and Chapelina, the railway carried six wagons of mothers, girls and children under eight to the station of Sumanchi, where they were taken out of the wagons, brought into the hill and thrown alive, mothers and children into deep ravines. In the parish of Klepcha, 700 schismatics from the neighbouring villages were slaughtered. The sub-prefect of Mostar, a Muslim, publicly declared that in Lubinia alone, 700 schismatics have been thrown into one pit. In the town of Mostar itself, the Serbs have been bound by the hundreds, taken in wagons outside the town, and then shot down like animals. And what did the Archbishop Stepanach do when he got this letter? I don't know, but I, he either wiped his ass with it or he, or he lit a cigar. He passed a copy of it onto Ante Pavelic. Oh, shit. And as you said before, blame the Serbs for their own misfortunes, which he said were brought on by their hatred and the schism. No. And he personally, yeah. ex- he, he excused Pavelic personally from having any responsibility in the massacres. Now, this part will, this next part will not hopefully surprise you, but during all these killings, because word is getting out, people are seeing bodies and that kind of stuff, some of the local Serb lawyers, merchants, and former Yugoslav officers grab whatever guns they can, they head to the hills, and they set up the first armed resistance group inside this new Croatia. There are some people who have the means and the ability and the experience, and they're going to start fighting back. Yeah, and a lot of them ended up joining the ranks of Tito's partisans. Right. And led to a communist Yugoslavia. The great irony of all of this, of course, is that Ante Pavelic was dead against communism, 
and was doing everything he could right. to try and prevent communism, and he ended up making it happen, helping make it happen by driving these people into the hands of the communists. But uh, the interesting thing is during the first few months of these persecutions in the NDH, the Serbs put up little resistance, allowed mm. themselves to be rounded up and slaughtered, very much like we hear stories of Jews in Poland and Germany during Kristallnacht and things like that. Uh, and we've talked about this on our uh, Renaissance show, I think, before. The Jews were used to just being herded like sheep into right. pogroms, just being killed. They'd sort of, you know, I think they had this fatalist view about it. Well, uh, you know, no one's going to come and defend us. We can't defend ourselves. And if God's not going to protect us, then I guess this is what he wants. So just right. lead us off and kill us. Thank you. Jesus. Um, Surprising to me, though, when I read this, that the Serbs would allow themselves to be rounded up and slaughtered. A lot of these people uh, in the NDH had never fought as Chechnik guerrillas against the Turks. For hundreds of years, they had been part of the Grenza, the the you know the military frontier soldiers that we mm-hmm. talked about for the Austro-Hungarian Empire never regarded the Catholics as their enemies, didn't expect an attack, were taken by surprise, and uh, uh, you know, just didn't see it coming. Well, a little bit, I guess. Yeah, yeah. They weren't expecting to be rounded up by a combined, by the combined might of this new government and the church. And, and as far as we, as far as I can tell in the readings, I mean, it does happen pretty quickly. They either grab you and they convert you or you disappear into a camp or you're killed outright. So I did think, I do think it was a very swift moving action by this new Croatian government. Yeah. The Serbs didn't see it coming, mm-hmm. apparently. Um now, there's uh, interesting stories and accounts of this. Milovan Zilas, who we've talked about before, ends up becoming one of the leaders of Tito's government. Then he has a falling out with Tito, etc., right. etc. Um, wrote that great book about his meetings with Stalin. In July of 1941, he was traveling on a train in eastern Herzegovina, met some of the Serbs who had escaped from the NDH. Mm. One of the peasants told him, they are killing every Serb in sight like cattle, a blow on the head, then down the ditch. They are mostly Turks. Their time will come. They want to wipe out the poor Serb people. Um, Surprised that he thought they were mostly Turks, you know, what what his meaning of a a Turk is. Maybe maybe people that... uh, had been loyal to the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Mm-hmm. We know that was, you know, very big and made up of lots of different people. Um, uh, Gilas mentions that the Serbs weren't surprised or horror-stricken. He said, one could not even say they were bitter. A misfortune had come along, terrible because it was human, but perhaps for this reason surmountable. A girl told him that the Ustasha had taken away and killed the priests, officials and merchants in her small town and the women and children were going to be next. 
Gillis turned to the first peasant and asked him why the people didn't defend themselves. And he replied, who can defend himself? We didn't expect anything. We couldn't believe a government would attack people just like Mm. that. We have no weapons. We are left to ourselves like cattle. Jeez. The First Amendment nuts would love that. Right. See, that's what happens when you don't have guns. Second Amendment. See, I told you. Told you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Second Amendment. Yeah, Second, Amendment. Second Amendment. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't get that wrong. Yeah. Now, as you can imagine, with all this, these horrific killings going on over time, slowly and gradually, and certainly not all over the place, um, some of the Italians started, you know, they were disgusted by this. And so they actually start giving supplies, uh, arms to those who are going into the hills and and, um, and uh, re- starting to resist this new Croat nation. There was one report in a Bologna newspaper called the Il Resto del Carino, which means the change of it from a shilling. This newspaper, they reported what a German major saw in Bosnia. And the Germans saw this. He goes, there were special bands who performed the massacres and are probably still doing so, actually led and incited by Catholic priests and monks. This is more than confirmed. There was a monk near Travnik with a crucifix in one hand who was inciting a band of people whom he had organized and was leading. This happened in the first days after my arrival there. And the correspondent finish, finishes the article with, this therefore means the renewal of medieval times. And that is what it must have felt to these people who were being brutally killed, tortured, maimed, whatever you want to call it, because of their religion. It literally is the dark dark times have returned to Eastern Europe. Now, the first people to come to the help of the Serbs in the NDH weren't the Chetniks or the Partisans, but the Nazis (laughs) and Mussolini's Mm -hmm. troops. The first reports of the SS show that even they were horrified by what the Ustasha were doing. Now, you know that if if you can horrify the Nazis, the SS, that's when when you're doing it right. (laughs) Like when you can even Uh, horrify SS troops. Yeah. You know that you've 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 reached the ring. You get a gold <laughs> when star. When an SS officer goes, I think I'm going to be sick. You know, you're doing God's work. Yeah, 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 yeah. The SS apparently dug up some of the Serbs that had been buried alive and filed documents and photos under the heading "What the Ustasha did at Bjelovar." Damn. One report. Uh, they uh, in the report they described disgustedly, how the Ustash had made Serb peasants lie on their faces in church and then speared them with pikes. God damn. It is the mid one report by Sorry. One report by the SS reads, The atrocities perpetrated by the Ustasha units against the Orthodox in Croatian territory must be regarded as the most important reason for the blazing up of guerrilla activities. The Ustasha units have carried out the atrocities not only against male Orthodox of military age, but in particular in the most bestial fashion against unarmed men, women and children. Because of the atrocities, innumerable Orthodox have fled to rump Serbia and their reports have roused the Serbian population to great indignation. Now, from the Nazis' perspective, I think, look, doing that to a Jew is fine because yeah. Jews aren't human. Right. Right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're animals. They Jews. Jews are animals. Yeah. They're not, not exactly. Yeah. 
they're not, uh, and you know, they they they're the Marx Brothers. I mean, they're funny, sure, yeah. but not not human. Um, but the but these guys are doing it to Christians, right? Right, other Christians like us, Nazis, Christians, right? They're killing Christians, <laughs> killing Jews and gypsies is um, one thing. Yeah, everyone can, everyone yeah. understands that. It's like yeah. stomping on a cockroach if you kill a Jew. Right. Uh, but killing Christians, oh, wow, that's just, that's, that's crazy. That's bestial. Right. Well, see, and the other part of it is, I'm sure to a to a certain degree, Hitler doesn't really care what's going on. He's got his local dictator supporting him, whatever. But the thing for Hitler is because now the war is going on in with Russia on the Eastern Front, he needs the lands that his troops and supplies and everything um, that that's going through these regions, certainly for Army Group South, because uh, Romania had joined the Nazis as well. He needs to be able to get supplies and men through these territories as fast as he pop- possibly can to get to the front, because the front is just going further and further and further to the east. Um, he doesn't need any drama. He doesn't need any hiccups. He certainly doesn't need anybody maybe attacking his supply lines or stealing from them so they can so they can fight each other. So he does need relative calm in this area. And of course, from these German reports, that is not what is happening. And like you said, certainly after the Germans and the Italians leave, it goes up to a whole new level. The German general in the NDH, the representative, mm-hmm. Hitler's representative there, Glas von Holstenau, right. who was an historian before the war, Jesus. he wrote, in June of 1941, that according to reliable reports from countless German military and civilian observers during the last few weeks, in country and town, the Ustasha have gone raging mad. Jeez. And that's coming from a German. So Now, yeah. yeah. Now, one of the things that they did was build some of the worst concentration camps ever. Yeah including the Jasenovach, the famous, well, it's not famous, that's the problem, the, the un, completely unknown in the West Jasenovach concentration camp right. that they set up in Slavonia. But as we are at the hour mark, I think we will have to talk about that next time. They saw what the Germans were doing with concentration camps and they said, Oh, my beer. It's time to go out, kick some ass, and do whatever you can to inflict pain. Of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. It's the Wild West. People brag about it. You know, we're at each other's throats. We're doing a good job of being mean to each other already, but you'd see something really ugly. My penis. 